Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Yak Talk Hacking the Boards. I'm Ben. And I'm Yako. And for our first pulmonology episode, we're going to dive right into asthma. We're going to cover some high-yield information on etiologies, diagnosis, differential, treatment, and asthma exacerbations all through board-like cases. And hopefully we'll have some fun while doing it. Let's jump in. All right, Ben. So for our first case, we have a 40-year-old male who comes in three months after a head cold with intermittent cough, wheezing, and shortness of breath for the past two months. He notices the cough usually occurs on particularly cold days and produces a whitish sputum but no blood. He has never smoked and denies alcohol use. Vitals and exam, including pulmonary exam, are normal. So what do you think is going on with this patient? So it sounds to me like this patient recently had an upper respiratory infection, this so-called head cold, and now he's coming in with symptoms most concerning for asthma. That's good thinking. What exactly is asthma? Asthma is a triggered inflammatory airway disease mediated by leukocytes and mast cells, which results in simultaneous bronchoconstriction and mucus hypersecretion. It usually develops during childhood and is associated with eczema and allergies, but adult onset asthma from a variety of triggers is also common. Speaking of, what makes you think this patient has asthma? Well, the intermittent episodes of productive coughing, wheezing, and dyspnea triggered by temperature are classic for asthma, since very cold or hot temperatures can initiate the inflammatory response. It sounds like the URI from a few months ago might have triggered the initial onset of his disease as well. Nice. What are some other common causes or triggers for asthma that they like to get at on exams? The big ones are exercise-induced and occupational asthma, usually from working with animals since allergens are common triggers. Another cause of adult-onset asthma, which can be confusing, is smoking, since, as we'll get to in our next episode, smoking is also the main contributor to COPD. That's a perfect transition into diagnosis and differentiation from COPD. If we're concerned about this patient having asthma, what's our next best test? We want to get some pulmonary function tests, or PFTs. This basically involves measuring the patient's different lung volumes and characteristics. What are the main ones that we care about for asthma, and what would we expect to see on PFTs? We want to look at the forced vital capacity, as in the FVC, the forced expiratory volume in one second, the FEV1, and the ratio of the two, FEV1 over FVC. You would expect a normal FEC and a low FEV1, and therefore a low FEV1 over FEC ratio, at least less than 70%. This is called an obstructive pattern because it signifies that the patient's lungs have plenty of space to move air, but they're having trouble expirating the air out of the lungs. So let's say our patient has an FEV1 to FVC ratio that's 60%. Now what's the next step to determine if this is asthma versus COPD? Now we want to give our patient a bronchodilator, such as albuterol, to see if the FEV1 over FVC ratio improves afterwards by at least 12% of predicted. If it does, then we have a diagnosis of asthma. Otherwise, our patient would have COPD. What about if our patient had a normal FEV1 to FVC ratio on PFTs, but we're still worried about asthma? We could give the acetylcholine agonist methacholine, called a methacholine challenge, to see if the patient's asthma can be triggered and thus if FEV1 over FEC ratio decreases. If the ratio is still normal, then other causes of this patient's chronic cough need to be considered. And that's a perfect transition to our next case. Ben, take it away. 
So now we have a 40 year old female who comes in four weeks after a cold with three weeks of a frequent dry cough worse at night. The cough stays the same throughout the day. She has never smoked and her vitals and exam are normal. Uh, Ben, I got to say, this sounds eerily similar to that last case we just went through. Which is exactly why it's a good case, Yaakov. (laughs) Asthma is not the only cause of chronic cough, and people get colds all the time, so it's not a super specific sign on the exam. What are a few things off the top of your head which can cause chronic cough? I would say common things being common, we think about post-nasal drip, GERD, and asthma as the main culprits. Lower down would be a cough from an ACE inhibitor, malignancy, or pertussis. I love that differential. What's going to be your first step in parsing out the diagnosis? Actually, not any diagnostic testing. First, I would check if they were on an ACE inhibitor and stop the medication if they were. Otherwise, I would send this patient home on a first-generation antihistamine. And what's the logic there? The most common cause of subacute cough, meaning a cough lasting more than three weeks, is upper airway cough syndrome, better known as postnasal drip. It's triggered by allergic or viral rhinitis and results in increased nasal secretions leading to a frequently stimulated cough reflex. Empirically treating with an antihistamine is the first step to solving this patient's cough because they decrease nasal secretions. If it helps, we nailed postnasal drip as the diagnosis. And if it doesn't help, we know we need a different diagnosis. Let's say she comes back two weeks later and the cough is still there. What's our next step? First, we would stop the antihistamine, and then we would want to try a proton pump inhibitor such as omeprazole to see if this is GERD that's causing her cough. Let's say two weeks of the PPI still does not help. What next? Now we want to do some PFTs to check for asthma, though we need to be careful because asthma and GERD can be comorbid and mutually exacerbate cough symptoms. If the PFTs show asthma, the patient may want to continue the PPI while starting asthma treatment. Let's say the patient's PFTs are actually normal and they still have this frequent cough. What do we do now? Only because the antihistamine and PPI didn't work in the question and the PFTs are normal, we should get a chest x-ray to look for other causes. Great. Now that we've covered the diagnosis of asthma and its differential, let's delve into the treatment with our next case. Great. So Ben, for our next case, we have a 30-year-old male with a 10-year history of asthma who comes in for a routine visit. He's been taking his albuterol as needed which recently has been three or four times a week. He has also woken up with asthma symptoms about once a week. His vitals and exam are normal. Before we get into this patient's treatment plan, let's talk about chronic asthma treatment. What exactly is the STEP system for chronic asthma management? The STEP system is the approach to choosing the best asthma treatment based on the patient's severity of symptoms and lung dysfunction. What are the highlights we need to know for this STEP system? For the test, Know the 2222 rule. If symptoms and albuterol use are less than two days per week, nighttime awakenings are less than two times per month, and they have less than two exacerbations per year, the patient has intermittent asthma and can just be on their albuterol inhaler as needed. If any of these are more frequent or if their symptoms worsen, then they need to step up their therapy. What are the major steps that you mentioned of asthma therapy? These can differ a bit by source, but here's what you need to know for the test. Step one is just albuterol or inhaled corticosteroids, abbreviated ICS, as needed. Step two is an ICS daily. Step three is a combination ICS and long-acting beta agonist, or ALABA, also daily. Step four and five are the same as three with increasing doses of ICS. And step six is ICS, LABA, and oral steroids. 
That's definitely a lot to process. So we definitely recommend checking out charts of both how to classify a patient's step and the treatment you give for each one. Let's talk through some of these medications you mentioned. What are the two general mechanisms through which they relieve symptoms and prevent mortality? SABAs like albuterol and LABAs induce bronchodilation by stimulating beta-2 receptors, while ICS and oral steroids decrease inflammation and therefore blockage of the airways. What are some potential adverse effects to look out for with these medications? There are really a whole bunch, but the main one to know for ICS is oral thrush, which can be prevented by drinking water and swishing after inhaling. LABAs should never be used as monotherapy, and SABAs can induce hypokalemia, tachycardia, and palpitations from sympathetic activation. And what are some other drugs you might see used to treat asthma? Leukotriene antagonists are anti-inflammatory medications which can replace ICS. Theophylline is a stimulant known to be effective but potentially toxic. And chromalin is a medication which prevents mast cell degranulation. Great. Now that we've covered treatment, let's talk about what happens when asthma goes really wrong. Bum, bum, bum. Now we have a 35-year-old female with a long history of well-controlled asthma who comes in with progressive shortness of breath over the past few days. Today, she felt herself breathing rapidly and took her albuterol multiple times without relief. Vital show a heart rate of 110 and respiratory rate of 26. Oxygen saturation is 93% on room air. Exam shows diffuse wheezing and mild respiratory distress. What's going on here and how do you know? So this is a pretty classic case of an asthma exacerbation, which is defined as an acute worsening of asthma symptoms, such as cough, wheezing, or dyspnea, which is unresponsive to normal treatment. That fits this patient's presentation perfectly. Do we need to do anything more to diagnose an exacerbation? Nope. For asthma, an exacerbation is a clinical diagnosis. You could check an expiratory flow rate, which would be decreased, or get a chest x-ray, which may or may not show hyperinflation due to air being stuck in the lungs, but neither are necessary for diagnosis. Okay, then what do we want to do for this patient immediately? We immediately want to start nebulized albuterol to bronchodilate the patient, then oral steroids to rapidly decrease inflammation in her airways. Let's say that we start these, but her symptoms worsen over the next two hours despite the treatment. Her respiratory rate is 32. Her O2 sat is 88% on four liters of oxygen. She's using accessory muscles to breathe, and she has decreased lung sounds with no wheeze. First, what are some changes to her medications we can make to improve her condition? So first, we can switch from an oral steroid, such as prednisone, to an IV steroid, such as methylprednisolone. Then, because she's in respiratory distress, as signified by her accessory muscle use, we can add ipratropium, which is an inhaled anticholinergic. What's a test we'd want to get on this patient with worsening, worsening respiratory status? We would definitely want an arterial blood gas or ABG as soon as possible to see if she's in respiratory failure. Perfect. So we get an ABG and it shows a pH of 7.42, a PaO2 of 67, and a PaCO2 of 41. With all of this new information in mind, what findings are concerning for a potentially fatal exacerbation here, and which is the most concerning? First, I'm going to say that the ABG is the most concerning because with a respiratory rate of 32, we would expect her CO2 to be low and for her to have a metabolic alkalosis, as in a high pH. But her CO2 and pH are normal, meaning that she isn't actually breathing out air effectively with her respirations, and so she must be in respiratory failure. The other scary signs are her tachypnea, her O2 saturation less than 90, 
her accessory muscle use, and her decreased lung sounds. Don't be fooled. You'd much rather hear wheezes than nothing, since silence means the air is trapped in the lungs. Wow, definitely a scary picture. What interventions do we do for her now that it's clear from her ABG that she's in respiratory failure? So now, Ben, it's time to intubate, unfortunately. That's the only way to help her breathe effectively at this point. So that is exactly what we do. And after another day, her breathing and labs slowly improve, except her white blood cell count starts going up. Why might that be? This is kind of a step one throwback, but systemic steroids can cause a pseudo elevation of white blood cells because they cause demargination of neutrophils into the bloodstream. Without other signs of infection, it's likely just a medication side effect. Great. So let's say everything goes well. They extubate her after two days and they step her down to the wards. She's feeling a lot better on day five and ready to go home. What do we need to send her home on? After any asthma exacerbation, you would send the patient home on five to seven days of oral prednisone to prevent rehospitalization from the late phase reaction. Since she was intubated during this exacerbation, she is at higher risk of mortality from future exacerbations, and she might want to consider going on daily inhaler, th inhaler therapy, as we mentioned before. What an intense way to wrap up our first respiratory lecture. Now we can all take a deep breath and move on to another test favorite. COPD.